Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to series two of the Daniel Morgan murder. I'm Peter Jukes. I'm Devia Mir. And we'll be exploring new revelations from the book by Alistair and me and more of the story which no one thought could be told. Just so this had never happened to anybody else again. I mean, I don't think, you know, none of us can, you can't take away any of that pain or that anger or frustration or or hurt. But but for, for, you know, the next person that's murdered for their family not to have to go through the same thing for it to be, you know, the people for people to be brought to justice That was Sarah Morgan explaining how the 30 year struggle for justice over the murder of her father is not just for the sake of her family but for other families too In this episode, we'll see how true this is, because if the corruption around Daniel's murder had been stopped Another family, the Lawrence family, might have been saved untold suffering. Untold. The Daniel Morgan murder. Welcome to episode six. In 1993, nearly exactly six years after Daniel Morgan was slain in the car park of the Golden Lion in Sydenham, and only seven miles down the road, the 18-year-old student... Stephen Lawrence was fatally stabbed the 18-year-old student. There are so many connections in location, personnel, police corruption and cover-up between these two murders. But to explain more, we spoke to Brian Cathcart, a journalist who covered the public inquiry into Stephen Lawrence's murder in the 1990s. My name is Brian Cathcart. I'm a journalist and author. I wrote a book about the case of Stephen Lawrence, the most famous, the most infamous uh, race murder in British history, and one which led to a great public scandal involving police failures, notably, but also issues of race generally in Britain. And there was a public inquiry. I followed the public inquiry throughout and was able to reconstruct a great deal of what happened behind the scenes in the police investigation and afterwards. Stephen was an 18-year-old, finishing school, optimistic about becoming an architect. 
and he was travelling home from a night visiting um, some, some relatives with his best friend, Dwayne Brooks. It was about half past ten, they were at a bus stop, or they were close to a bus stop, and they saw a group of white youths running towards them. Dwayne said something to Stephen, and the v- words rang out from the attacking group, what, what, nigger? Uh, Stephen didn't get away and was uh, stabbed uh, at least twice and uh, Duane Brooks did escape. The attackers ran off one way. Uh, Duane and Stephen Stephen got up and they ran up in another direction. Stephen fell down and uh, very quickly died of his wounds. There are lots of similarities between the Morgan and Lawrence families, especially in their initial treatment by police. Until the murders... Both families were upright, law-abiding, and trusted the British criminal justice system to deliver justice. They were quickly disillusioned. They discovered it in the most painful circumstances. It was very chaotic, and uh, in the end they were waiting in hospital uh, for information about about him in a kind of extremely panicky way, uh, and had to be told that he had just died. They were then, by reflex, fully supportive of the police, and optimistic of uh, that the, this would be solved. They couldn't see why it would be difficult to solve. And uh, it was only, it took only about three or four days for them to begin to realise that uh, things were not progressing as they hoped. There had been no arrests, although they were aware that the police had been given names. Um, they had been treated in an offhand way by, by officers and indeed uh, they'd formed the impression that in some way uh, Stephen was under suspicion and uh, perhaps that the police thought that, you know, he had in some way provoked the crime and they knew Stephen and knew this would not be the case. This was another echo of what happened to Daniel, the suggestion made from the outset that he was somehow to blame for his own murder. And as we'll see, the similarities go much further. The police investigation that followed was an utter shambles. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. Every opportunity to make arrests or seize valuable evidence, particularly forensic evidence, um, was lost. The, uh, there were fumbling about who was actually in charge. It was a disgrace. Now, Stephen's family very quickly recognised that this was a disgrace. But frankly, as a black family of a young black boy on the street, as it were, they were simply not listened to. So the Stephen Lawrence murder took place in the same area of South East London as Daniel Morgan's murder, and drew from the same pool of detectives for the first botched murder investigation. And that's not the only similarity, because just as in the case of Daniel, there were allegations of police corruption and connections between the investigating officers and underworld figures. In this case, the father of one of the suspects, David Norris, was a well-known South East London gangster called Clifford Norris. The influence of Clifford Norris in the Lawrence case is clearly huge. That one of the suspects had a very widely feared, very wealthy and very dangerous senior criminal backing him up and in the area, driving around in a Porsche, no less. That that was present in the area I think, cast a cloud over the investigation. But the the odd, the kind of conflict in the case is that despite that, people were still giving evidence. People were still telling the police who they thought it was, why they thought it had happened, what previous incidents these, these suspects were involved in. 
that kind of people were being very helpful to boys because they didn't like these boys and they probably didn't like David Norris's father either but he was there and he was able to apply pressure where it most counted and frankly if he'd had a friend in the police it would explain a lot the allegation was made again and again but never quite proved that there must have been police officers protecting Clifford Norris and that indeed it was possible indeed likely it was suggested that the some of the failures of the investigation the failures to follow up leads the failures to record information that came into the inquiry that sort of stuff was actually deliberate and that there were police officers on the investigation uh, well, at least one police officer who was um, deliberately delaying its advance at the very least but there was one crucial difference between the case of Stephen Lawrence and Daniel Morgan and that was that Two weeks after the murder of Stephen, the soon-to-be South African president, Nelson Mandela, on a visit to the UK, met with the Lawrence parents and made a crucial intervention. It seems black lives are cheap, Mr Mandela told Stephen Lawrence's family. He warned the evil of racism threatens the whole world and must be fought. As he left, he drew parallels with his own country. We are very used to this type of thing where life is regarded as cheap in South Africa. And, uh, but nevertheless, uh, it's a sense of disconcern that it should happen in a country like Britain. There was a deep sense of unease. And this was brought to a climax by the inquest, the last possible legal proceeding uh, available to the family, at which Doreen Lawrence, Stephen's mother, made an extraordinary speech um, which deserves a place among the great speeches in recent British political history. And here is an extract of that speech, read by an actor. In my opinion, what happened was the way of the judicial system making a clear statement saying to the black community that their lives are worth nothing. And the justice system... In my opinion, what happened was the way of the judicial system making a clear statement saying to the black community that their lives are worth nothing. And the justice system will support anyone, any white person who wishes to commit a crime or even murder against a black person. You will be protected. You will be supported by the British system. To the black community, your lives are nothing. You do not have feelings. You do not have any rights to the law in this country. That is only here to protect the white man and his family, not you. A couple of days later, the five suspects were brought in and all of them refused to answer any questions. They said, I claim privilege. That's to say they, they stood by their legal right to say nothing. And even one of them, when he was asked his name, said, I claim privilege. And this was seen as offensive. This was seen as raising two fingers to the British legal system and a disgrace. And at that point, something snapped. And, and it was most clearly articulated by the Daily Mail newspaper, which on the morning after the uh, inquest verdict, at which the jury said that Stephen was killed in an unprovoked racist attack by five white men, the Daily Mail printed pictures of the five and called them murderers on its front page. It did what the justice system hadn't done, 
and uh, it uh, called on them to sue if they wanted to deny it. That kind of provided a lightning rod of public outrage, and it was also a sense of release, you could say, in an odd way, that they were murderers now. The Daily Mail had said it, they were, and they never sued. At the same time, the government changed. So the Lawrences had by then been demanding a public inquiry for four years. The government changed. The Conservative government left office. They were replaced by Labour, and Labour with a big new broom, first time back in power for however many years, uh, 18 years, I think. Um, and one of their early steps was to announce a public inquiry into this case. It was uh, transformative. This was the first time, you know, that all the evidence was dragged out. It was absolutely plain that they had been let down and most of what they said had been true all along, although, you know, persistently denied. In the end, this was a, a case, a transformative case, because... It was the first time a family, a black family in Britain with a grievance, won, showed the whole of the British public that they were right and that the, their critics and their, those who opposed them had not a leg to stand on. And it was also the first time in which, in the evolving process, the British white public identified with the pain and the sense of injustice of a black family. It's a historic first in that sense, and uh, it made, in that sense, a very big difference. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
There was a public inquiry into the case, um, which uh, all the police um, officers involved and all their police documentation was pretty thoroughly probed and aggressively, by, particularly by lawyers acting for the Lawrence family. And while the, there was a very clear evidence of, of incompetence and negligence, I think uh, you'd go that far, um, it was very difficult to pin down anything more than a smell of corruption. Certainly, the word corruption was used many times. The um, uh, allegation of kind of uh, what the Lawrence family's lawyers called darker forces kept surfacing. And you would have been naive to go away from the Lawrence inquiry thinking that you were confident corruption had nothing to do with it. But at the same time, it proved impossible for the lawyers to pin down actual corruption. The McPherson inquiry into the Stephen Lawrence murder explored several key themes which, in hindsight, reveal a lot about corruption in southeast London between certain senior officers, underworld figures connected to southern investigations. Well, I think there were two principal areas where it looked extraordinary what the police did. The first was the tightness of the protection from above for the police officers who were making a mess of it or had made a mess of it. That's to say, you know, the entire upper reaches of the Metropolitan Police, Scotland Yard, were standing by an investigation. Now, the evidence they had to go on that this investigation had been properly conducted was one report by one officer, uh, which was vague in terms and and proved absolutely transparent when first examined by somebody from another force. Um, so that was the that was the Barker review, as, as it was called. It was utterly discredited. It was so utterly discredited in court at the public inquiry that the judge actually dismissed the police officer involved and said he didn't want to hear any more of his evidence because he wouldn't trust it. One of the things that the police said for years afterwards was that there was a wall of silence. What we learned when uh, the, the case was, as it were, broken open to the public was that there was no wall of silence. And indeed, um, local people were r very readily giving information to the police in quite substantial numbers. But in particular, uh, one young man who was given the, um, uh, the code name James Grant uh, came forward and described how the crime was done and who did it. And, uh, uh, and, it, and did so to two police officers at the inquiry headquarters. Um, now, his evidence was followed up in the most slapdash and uh, careless manner and uh, was poorly recorded. And the smell around the evidence of James Grant uh, was among the most pungent in terms of, um, uh, of possible corruption in the case. The parallels between the Morgan and the Lawrence case don't just include the botched investigations or the attitude to witnesses and families. There are also three key figures involved in 1993 whose histories go right back to the Morgan murder in 1987. One of those key figures is DS John Davidson, nicknamed OJ, obnoxious jock, whom you may remember was the flying squad detective who worked closely with Alan Taffy Holmes in the 80s. He was reported to be an associate of Commander Ray Adams and one of the last people to see Taffy Holmes alive before he committed suicide in suspicious circumstances four months after Daniel's murder. O.J. Davidson is, without doubt, the most important police officer in the first investigation of the Stephen Lawrence case. He was 
the leading detective on what was called the outside team. That's to say, uh, there were managers, and they, it turned out that they were rather second-rate and sedentary in the office, trying to supposedly running the investigation. And then there was an outside team who went out and asked, actually asked people questions. And O.J. Davidson led that team. There are a number of instances in uh, his prosecution, as it were, of his duties, uh, which uh, gave rise to disbelief at the public inquiry. First of all, he argued to the inquiry that although you know, the word nigger had been used at the scene, although there were five people at the bus stop and only the two young black people had been attacked, although the, the assailants were all white... Um, and so forth, he, he was not convinced there was a race motive. The um, victims were unknown to the attackers, that's absolutely certain. He um, also was the person chiefly involved with the evidence of James Grant, which, as I've said, was very poorly followed up, resulted in, in a rather fuzzy process by which he was supposedly registered as a, an official police informant, but the documentation was all lost. Nobody ever quite understood what, what that was about. Um, and Davidson was also uh, responsible for investigating another attack linked to the same su- some of the same suspects in which Clifford Norris himself put in an appearance. That's to say, Clifford Norris bribed one of the victims of this knife attack to change his story. And uh, this, was, this was a case that, the, um, that Davidson was supposedly be, be leading and it fell apart. The question is, why would some police officers seek to derail the Stephen Lawrence murder investigation? Well, you can see there's a very good reason why some might seek to derail the Daniel Morgan murder inquiry, because the private detective was reputed to be about to expose the connections between senior officers and underworld figures. But in the case of Stephen Lawrence, the corrupt motive is slightly different. In this case, one of the murderers was the son of an underworld figure who had connections to senior officers. The other area of real concern about corruption was the criminal engagement behind the suspects in the case. So there were two of the five young men who were suspected of the crime had, well, uh, three had direct family links with very serious criminals. Uh, One was David Norris, whose father Clifford was a very well-known, very violent, very nasty London criminal. And the other was a man called Terry Acourt, who was the uncle of two of the other boys. Both Terry Acourt and Clifford Norris were industrial-scale cannabis smugglers, bringing cannabis into Britain in trucks and distributing it in Britain. And they were, at the time, Terry Acourt was in jail in France, and Clifford Norris was on the run from police for a variety of offences. But somehow... They didn't catch him. Um, Somehow he was able to, and it's very clear, operate in the background of the investigation of the Stephen Lawrence murder, intimidating possible witnesses. The, The trail of this is very clear. And the question arose and was never really answered. How a man who was a serious criminal, wanted by the police, I mean, quite a high level criminal, wanted by the police, could operate so freely in southeast London, apparently coming in and going out of the country at will, throwing a birthday party in a bar about two miles from where the murder took place. Uh, that kind of, you know, that kind of open behaviour 
Uh, the question was asked, was Clifford Norris being protected by the police rather than being sought by the police? Well, later in a Panorama programme in 2006, an associate of O.J. Davidson and a friend of recent Fillory, D.C. Neil Putnam, would claim that O.J. had admitted to him that he was in the pay of Clifford Norris, looking after the interests of his son during the Stephen Norris murder inquiry, and that it was a nice little earner. Davison has denied this, and we will look further into Putnam and his connections to the South East Regional Crime Squad in a future episode, but here comes another connection to the same circle of cops and underworld figures in South London, Sergeant XX, who we can now name as Sergeant David Coles. One of the things that trickled out in the course of the inquiry was the case of Sergeant XX, as he was known. And XX had two connections with the case. One, it could be shown that he was a personal acquaintance of Clifford Norris. And indeed, they had been seen together more than once in pubs in southeast London, on one occasion at least, exchanging parcels, oblong packets. I mean, what could be more suspicious? It emerged that he had never really been disciplined for this or properly questioned. And it emerged further that one of these meetings took place on the eve of a police raid on basically Clifford Norris' smuggling operation from which he escaped with his brother at the last moment. Again, what could be more suspicious? So that that trickled out. Now, this was in connection with Clifford Norris. So was there a connection between Sergeant XX and the case of Stephen Lawrence. Well, I mentioned the friend, Duane Brooks, whose, whose evidence was so crucial. It turned out that Sergeant XX had been designated as a guard for Duane Brooks during his break while he was giving evidence in court in the private prosecution. And as the um, lawyers for, for Brooks pointed out, this placed Sergeant XX in a position to influence Brooks. And if XX was in any way connected with Clifford Norris, then he was, you know, a chain could be drawn, as it were, between the father of a defendant and a police officer who was in close proximity to a key witness. I think that any fair assessment of the case of Duane Brooks would have to weigh the possibility that as the prime witness in the case, the one who saw the attackers clearly attacking and killing Stephen. Duane was, he was key, but he was also marginalised, made to feel unwanted. His evidence was tainted, not by him, but by um, conversations he had with police officers and meetings he had. And, and it proved crucial that his evidence was, would not stand up in court. And the, the history of how it failed to stand up in court is very, very suspect and worrying. And here's the third connection between the Southern Investigation Circle and the Stephen Lawrence murder, Commander Ray Adams. He, as we know, was a close associate of O.J. Davidson's. And it seems he also intervened when Sergeant Coles was disciplined for associating with Clifford Norris, spotted by customs officers contacting the South London gangster before a major raid. Coles was asked to resign, but Ray Adams intervened and Coles was reassigned to surveillance duties. 
a secret intelligence briefing for a Metropolitan Police Task Force, concluded in 1999 that Coles is connected with the following suspected corrupt serving and former officers and they named Ray Adams. Ray Adams also made a strange early intervention in the Stephen Lawrence murder. Brian Cathcart explains how he appeared at the McPherson inquiry. The family very quickly realized that the police investigation was shambolic at best. They had employed a solicitor to represent their interests who was a man of left-wing background and of Asian background called Imran Khan. And he was putting pressure on the police to A, account for themselves a bit better and B, provide more information in general about the progress of the inquiry because it didn't seem to be advancing at all. And these complaints were finding their way up through the system and it was Adams who was kind of fending them off in a series of letters. And he was called to account for this. And it was a mysterious appearance. Apart from anything else, I was at the, at the inquiry the day before. I was told that this uh, Adams was going to be turning up and that he was known in the Metropolitan Police as Billy Liar, so that I was promised that it would be an eventful appearance. And it was, but Adams was very confident. Uh, he had clearly covered himself, criminally or uncriminally, very well in this case because uh, nobody was able to lay a finger on him and he was able to walk away rather smugly uh, after saying that all the suggestions about corruption in the case were, I quote, a Merlin's broth of magic and mirrors and innuendos and nudges. All of these new threads of evidence were reviewed for the Home Office by a senior lawyer in the Ellison Review in 2013. We now understand that the allegations of police corruption are part of a covert investigation by Britain's FBI, the National Crime Agency. So we've been told. To what extent this NCA investigation will also look at the links back to Southern investigations and the murder of Daniel Morgan, or indeed the suicide of Taffy Holmes, remains to be seen. But one thing that shines out, despite all the murkiness and uncertainty around both murders, and that's the attitude of the Morgans and the Lawrences. How they initially believed in the police and then were dismayed and disillusioned, but never gave up their pursuit of justice for their loved ones. They simply wanted justice and they were not going to stop until they got it. The tragedy is that uh, they were betrayed and let down for years and years and years and that the police service failed to take them seriously and they were quite convinced of it and the inquiry showed that they were right because they were black. These are the words of Doreen Lawrence, read by an actor. We tried to redress the injustice against us. We felt we had to and with the dedication of our legal team and supporters, we mounted our own private prosecution to seek justice for our murdered son. I hope our family will be the last, even though there is no sign of it to date. The last to be put through this nightmare, which it has been for us. There needs to be changes for the future. The establishment needs to have in place a system that would allow all crimes to be treated in the same way 
and to be investigated in the same way, regardless of who is the victim, of who the perpetrators might be. Baroness Doreen Lawrence is now a Labour peer in the House of Lords and a major figure fighting injustice for all. Meanwhile, the Morgan family, denied a public inquiry for 30 years, are still waiting for the Daniel Morgan Independent Panel to report, five years after it started. Next week, we'll plunge further into the deepening relationship between Southern investigations and news of the world in the late 90s and discover, from the victim's side, what it's like to be a target of their dark arts. Episode 6 was produced by Peter Jukes and Devi Amir. Music by Shemeli Mir. Additional music support by Incompetech. A Flameflower Duende production. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.